it refers to skills. And this is a big one. So underutilizing people's talent, skills, and capabilities. I think of uh, operator three, which means that's a guy that can operate every piece of equipment that they have. So he's incredibly valuable on a job site. Well, they had call outs and they lost a truck driver. That guy's driving a truck. One that pops into my head probably more than often because we live this every day is an owner being in the hourglass. He's getting sucked down into the operation, but like he's probably the most efficient and productive salesperson there is in the organization. Hey everyone, welcome back to another great episode of Out of the Hourglass. I'm your host, Molly Nolan, and today we welcome back NCG business coach, Jim Bradley to the podcast to continue the conversation on the topic of lean thinking and how to apply the concept to our operational processes. Lean is a concept that holds many tools in its toolbox, one of which we'll dive into today to help us work through and discover the barriers, problems, or interruptions to flow. What you'll quickly learn? Flow holds significance in the lean concept. And the first tool up to bat? Tim Woods. Yes, that is an acronym, as most clever things are. Join Jim and I for informative conversation on the use of Tim Woods and its application to help us identify forms of waste or flow interrupters, shall we say, in a process. A quick pro tip, be sure to listen to our intro to the Lean Principles episode released in October 2022, prior to jumping into this conversation. Out of the Hourglass is a podcast channel dedicated to helping small business owners and contractors visualize their goals, develop high-performing teams, and build sustainable growth. It's time to get out of the hourglass. All right. Welcome back to the podcast, Jim Bradley. Jim, how are you today? I'm good, Molly. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Glad to have you. Um, For those who have been listening to our podcast, um, this is Jim's second time back to the the Out of the Hourglass series, which is fantastic. Um, Jim is a NCG uh, business coach here with us. And when we last connected with Jim, we introduced the concept of lean, um, lean thinking when it comes to operations. And I know that there's a lot of discussion about it now and people are are excited about kind of, you know, looking at the tools and really looking at applying efficiency to their, to their organizations, especially as a, as a time where the economy remains a little bit turbulent. We still, things are, un, uh, you know, a bit unpredictable. So we're always looking at ways to be more efficient, right, Jim? More smart yes. about how we're doing business. Absolutely. Yep. Awesome. So um, today we're going to dive into the tools in the toolbox of Lean because um, our last episode together was more of an introductory, you know, uh, discussion about the concept. Um, so we definitely recommend folks taking a listen to that episode to kind of lay some groundwork for understanding. Um, but Jim, just give us a, like a thirty to sixty second overview of Lean, um, just to kind of refresh our minds. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so like referring back to our, our first podcast, so lean lean is a way of thinking, right? So um, really the term is lean thinking um, basically means continuous improvement. Um, so like I think you just hit the nail on the head as uh, a lot of our clients right now with the way the economy is, uh, finding ways to tighten it up and become more efficient. Um, so when there's times like this, it forces us to do these exercises, but the goal is to make it a part of your culture and execute, 
continuous improvement at all times. Right. Not just uh, certain certain times of the year or certain times of the, the world being in certain places. Right, right. So not being reactive, but making it more of a culture yeah. and not making it like an owner's priority, but making it a a team priority, right? And mm-hmm. they own their process. So it's a way of thinking, but it, I, I often use the term a lens. So really the whole purpose of this type of training is to teach your people to look through a different lens on how to improve. Really, we, we talk about efficiency, but we're also talking about the quality of the product going mm-hmm. to the customer or the end user. And I, I love that that term lens. And when I think of lens, it also it reminds me, it's almost like to, to look through something with a certain lens probably requires some habit changing as well amongst the folks that you are, you know, asking or, you know, working to, to rethink things in a certain way um, and being proactive. These are all habits. These are all practices. These are all things that we have to consistently do, right. For them to, to become the new normal. Um, we have to practice the things that we do to become masters at it. Um, and you're never, a ma- I don't know. If, I don't know if anyone ever becomes a full master. I feel like there's always things to be learning and to be improving upon. Um, so this is just the, that continuous improvement discussion of how do we become better at what we do? Absolutely. So like you mentioned the toolkit. So I often yes. go back, I always, I always take a call when, when I hear them on podcast talking about training for a 5k. Mm-hmm. Um, it is about changing your habits and how you look at things. Right. But I think the challenge for people is they don't know the tools. So it's like you go to a gym, you get a trainer or you get a running coach that teaches you how to do it better. And that's really the premises of the lean toolkit and the methodology and just learning it. Um, And the biggest thing I probably mentioned this on the last podcast is that it catches fire, right? Like an Mm -hmm. associate or a lead in the field that improves efficiency by 5%. It, they get excited and they just oh, yeah. they see the return and they keep pushing for it. Um, and it's really contagious in a, in an organization. Tangible impact um, yeah. is, is pretty good for uh, uh, inspiration <laughs> for right. sure. Absolutely. Um, okay. So, um, you know, we're, we, we keep referencing these tools in the toolbox. Um, and I, again, I, I love this reference as well, because we think about anything that we do, when you're, you know, building a house, working on a project, you utilize tools to help you get to the end result. So that's why we use that that toolbox in terms of thinking about concepts this way. So there, I was just asking you before we got started, you know, how many tools in the Lean Toolbox are there? And you said, you know, probably around 20, give or take. Um, but there are some foundational tools that really need to come first in, in the understanding of how to utilize the lens of Lean's, right? Right. Absolutely. So the one that we're going to look at today is Tim Woods, uh, T-I-M-W-O-O-D-S. Um, and really, that's that's telling you what to look for. And then you use the tools to apply to help corrective actions or continuous improvement. When I think of Tim Woods, I just think of a forest. I don't know. I mean, obviously, the word woods is in there. Um, yeah. But it's funny how like your mind goes to, to certain visuals when you come up with an acronym like that, because that's yeah. what Tim Woods is. It's an acronym that stands for certain, you know, a particular set of areas where you are looking to focus on. Um, so let's let's talk about Tim Woods, Jim. Yeah, let's do it. So what is the overall um, emphasis of Tim Woods using that tool? Yeah. So the main 
the main component of being efficient and um, lean is flow, right? So often I, when I'm talking to clients, I'm talking about the flow of things. Uh, so I, just as a point of reference, um, I'm in Disney last week, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lean geek. And so I'm looking around. So you have, you have a couple hundred thousand people entering the park, right? The flow mm -hmm. of people seamless by the way they have their transportation system set up. You never stop, right? Mm -hmm. um, so no bottlenecks. But then you get into the park and then you're waiting in line for rides and they, you know, they do for people that are familiar, they do the lightning lane and then they do the general lane. Mm -hmm. Well, they, they build in a system that disrupts flow. So like for every four people in the normal lane that gets on a ride, 25 or 25 to one goes through the lightning lane. So a hundred people go through. So it creates that bottleneck of overflow of people in the general admission line because of, because of something that they implement it. Right. And there, there's mm -hmm. a whole revenue piece there for them. Right. Um, so flow, flow is really important. But so in, in our world, think about um, how work progresses through a system. So when, when a system's working well, um, you consider it to have good flow. And when you have good flow, things are moving steadily. We have some predictability to it. Mm -hmm. um, where as opposed to bad flow, the work is at a start and a stop, right? And every time we have a start and a stop, the chances of accumulating waste, whether it's people, materials, uh, or anything increases at that point, right? So mm -hmm. the goal is to strive for continuous flow, which enables us to deliver a more consistent product or result to the customer. Which makes sense when you think about if you ever see, you know, videos or imagery of a, you know, a, a, man, a warehouse or a manufacturing facility where they're creating something, those tools, those machines are constantly running. Like once one product is created, there's, there's already another product in the process of being created, or there's the steps to creating that, that product are all happening simultaneously. And so, because if they were to create one product and stop, create the product again and stop they're wasting right. time so it's like such a simple way to look at it but it makes sense as to why flow continuous flow without barriers makes the most sense yeah so like i come from that manufacturing world and right. it's uh it's a work in progress right so like one step produces a product that goes on to the next step and you're working towards a finished good well, yeah, when those machines go down, it's a bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, because machines can run 60 minutes an hour for likely 20 hours a day. Wow. So that that's your output, right? And if there's any breakdown in that, that's where you start to have a problem. Because, you know, when we design a process or uh, uh, something that we're, we're working on, a workflow, we have what's called capacity in there, right? Are we meeting our capacity and then the other part of it is, is there, um, they call it tack time, but is there, is the customer demanding it? So like, are we producing what's being demanded mm -hmm. or are we just pushing it out and we end up storing things in a warehouse and that's a form of waste. Got it. Yeah. yeah that extra inventory. Yeah. Which is one of the Tim Wood um, items when we think about the acronym. Yeah. Um, so let's jump, let's jump into each um, component of the Tim Woods acronym. Um, yeah. 
what comes first? So the first, the T is for transportation or transport. So that really is any unnecessary movement of any products or materials. So to bring it into our world, I, I think a good example is, uh, I think of my excavating clients, right? Mm -hmm. Their job is to clear land. Um, and they're often the inefficiency is that you hear is that they move piles from one place to another. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're moving it multiple times. Where the right thing to do would be to have the the truck dump truck there that's pulling out the the fill that's got to go somewhere. The units dumping it right into the truck, and then there's a continuous flow of the product off the land. Instead of dumping the the dirt into a pile, and then that pile has to get put into the truck. Yeah. Yeah. Right into the truck. Let's just go right, right into, into the, the truck, truck and just let it keep going. And another one would be. Uh, um, you know, with builders, they dump a ton of lumber on a job site. And then at the end, they have excess lumber. And it's like, all right, so we we purchased it, we moved it, and now we're moving it back into storage. So all unnecessary steps that a customer doesn't pay for. Yeah. So. That, you, that business ends up having to eat those costs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What is I? Well, we so already said I I is inventory. Mm -hmm. So any excess materials or work in progress or finished product, right? So I, I think of um, what I see with a lot of my flooring clients is I like to look at inventory turns for the product that they buy from the supplier. Um, it's expensive. It's a mm -hmm. lot of money. And it so they're they're buying it in bulk and they're storing it. And it's costing money for storage and it's, it's working capital sitting there um, where if you could just get more of a understanding of your, your needs and get just in time deliveries, you mm -hmm. have better flow. Um, another one would be the lum lumber for builders, right? So like the excess inventory sitting on a site mm -hmm. or roofing is a good one. Um, what you hear from the roofers is like when they complete a job, they, they move on to the next one. And then they often find that they left inventory at the previous job. They got to go back and get it, take it to a storage somewhere or another job. Um, and that's all unnecessary movement, inventory, everything. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, these are not like, but the things that you're saying are not crazy concepts. I mean, they, they happen. We, and we often think of them as just part of doing, doing the job, you know, yeah. this is what we do. But when you pull back and you begin to look at the, look at your, your workflow, um, you know, we often refer to it at the contractor's, you know, process of when the, you know, from the very beginning of a job to, to the very end, these are major impacts on the bottom line at the end of the day. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that, I think once you learn it and you start applying it, you're like, wow, that's common sense. Right. 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 Um, so like tunnel vision, like, like that's why, like I've been, I've done quite a few events where I went into companies and I helped them streamline processes, reduce mm -hmm. cost. Um, it's because I come in with a fresh eye and a different perspective. Yeah. And I have training. Mm -hmm. So like, just think if you train your people to start looking through that lens, you're going to get some value out of it. Even if they aren't experts. But right. if you make it a part of your culture, it does does a lot. Yeah, the more eyes on something, 
the better in a sense. And you're right. Fresh eyes can do a whole lot, especially, and it's really hard often, you know, the folks who are in the day-to-day, even with what we do, to be able to, you know, stand back at what's that 30,000 foot level, like how, what's actually happening when we look at the whole process of, of the business instead of being in it every day. You know, that's right. kind of that on the business meeting on the business um, function of understanding what's actually happening that's impacting right. revenue, the bottom line, you know, em- employee, you know, satisfaction at the end of the day. Um, so, yeah, and it just, I mean, and as, as we go through more of these, and you know, next one being the M of the Tim Woods, I just, um, I imagine more and more is going to become a more common sense reality. <laughs> Yeah. So, so M is motion, unnecessary movement. So Mm -hmm. this is a big one. This is the one where you find most of your, your, your return. All right. So think of, uh, you're on a job site and your, 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 your associates are, um, walking around looking for materials. I'm looking for paint rollers. I'm looking for a mask. I'm looking for safety goggles or, um, a plumber he's he, he's got to keep running out to his truck to get certain fittings because he didn't prepare mm-hmm. for the job that he needs so like it's all unnecessary motion right like it's not it's not time spent producing right and you, so think of walking um reaching bending so like if you got that technical with it in the manufacturing world you actually get to the point where you're looking at like hand motions or, really? or like a, a turn, right? So like if I'm producing something, do I got to keep walking 10 feet to go get my, my raw material and come back, right? How do I get the material closer to them? So like, I think like painting in, in the painting world, I'm like, how do I keep the guys from coming down off the ladder? Right. Right. Cause every mm-hmm. time they come down, it takes a certain amount of time and then it takes time to go back up. So it's like a, to go back to flow, it's that start and stop. How do I keep them going, you know, maintaining, moving? Yep. Okay, on to W. All right, so waiting is another big one. So mm-hmm. like any time wasted waiting for materials or another process. So um, in painting, you could say you're, you're working on a project and the sand prep and, and wall surface preps being done, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, was it done incorrectly? And then we have the painters kind of in queue waiting. So there's mm-hmm. a delay in flow there, right? Um, often people will prep a whole room and then go back and do the painting. But can you get it to move simultaneously together, right? With a staggered start. Um, another one would be uh, in excavating where they're digging trenches for any type of, uh, piping, mm-hmm. um, the installers of the piping are waiting if the trench isn't, isn't done properly or if they're behind. Um, and there could be things that, that drive that there could have been an equipment breakdown. Then you got to say, all right, what is our maintenance opportunity to keep that unit running? Um, so that, that's a couple, couple perspectives on waiting. What strikes me is that, so you could really, you know, focus on eliminating that waiting component within your organization. But if you are a business that, you know, like if you're a general contractor or um, you're, you're a painting company that's working with a GC on a project, if that company that you're wait that you are working with, that you've been hired out to complete that component of the job, 
has issues with their own workflow and process and they they're inefficient i mean you you are ultimately impacted by that as well so the the flaws in, in another organization are going to impact even if yeah. you i mean so it, it it almost lends to recognizing the 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 businesses that you are working with and the organizations that you're working with, and do they reflect the same organizational efficiency that you know you push your company to be, right? Because if you are partnering yourself up with another uh, contractor who cannot produce the way that your company does, ultimately your company, you know, suffers, and your you know your bottom line suffers. Yeah, no, Maui, that's that's dead on. So. I, I have a line striping client uh, where they do, they're doing their, their commercial work is blowing up where they're, they're doing line striping in, um, in, in distribution warehouses. So we're mm-hmm. talking like 400 square foot facilities and um, he would go in and the floor wouldn't be prepped. And then he's got a team of five guys sitting there and they're waiting and they're waiting. So like, you're right. You develop that relationship where you get to know the, the, the partner that you're, you're doing business with. Yeah. And you either, you know, and the way this particular client handled it, he's like, I got to raise my price. If you don't have this right, they started building penalties in the, in the agreements mm-hmm. for not being prepared on job site. Uh, but the difference in efficiency is incredible. Like that particular client with line striping, he goes in and he blows through 300,000 square feet of line striping in like an eight hour day where, wow prior to him really dialing in like and and being affected by other outside sources uh it would be like a three-day project for sure yeah yeah so just it's kind of like that next step of thinking even though you're you're focusing on you know your business and making the work the process the flow um better be aware of the other companies that you're working with and how they're impacting your flow at the end of the day yep um, all right, let's move into the first O within Tim Woods. Yeah, so overproduction. So what that is, is making more than what the process needs. So think of uh, in the world of painting, mm-hmm. think of mixing too much of a certain color. And then all of a sudden you have that color left over, right? Because you didn't match it up to the square footage needs mm-hmm. or uh, for builders is a big one. So that like they, um, in their world, cutting wood, because so, lumber is so expensive, cutting wood a certain way is really important, right? So they always say, uh, make the cut from the shortest material, right? Mm-hmm. If you're making shortcuts. Well, if they're, if, sometimes they build, they build like the A-frames ahead of time and do different things, um, certain components components and then on site they they assemble well sometimes they build too much and then they have it sitting in their yard um and that's that's overproduction because it's like all right when are we going to fit this into another project if ever right or do we got to break it down and use it a different way so all forms of waste Mm -hmm. um that could really it just really hurts your bottom line or your efficiency in a retail environment, if you overproduce um, items as well, then you have to discount and sell them and you lose profit on it. Though Absolutely. I'm happy for them to overproduce. I love a good sale. So, but in, in the contracting world, not so much. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's move into the next O. 
Right. So this is where we move into over-processing. So okay. um, unnecessary steps. So I, I, what comes to mind is, um, Peyton, I'll use as a point of reference again. So if you don't, if you don't calibrate a sprayer correctly, you're applying too much material and mm -hmm. you're over applying it. Um, your rolling technique, are you like, whatever your technique is, is it a W or are you going up and down? So your hand strokes goes back to that movement aspect of Tim Woods. Mm -hmm. um, another one would be, so like a, uh, a client of mine basement, a basement dry company. So like not understanding the scope of the job. They went in and uh, when you're dealing with wet basements, you cut the drywall out because you got to replace it. Well, instead of the six inches in the job scope, they went and did three feet. Oh, wow. That's over processing because now you got to fix something that you did. Mm -hmm. uh, or if you damage anything on a particular job for, that you got to, you got to go back to the customer. Like if you damage a floor, you got to go back and maybe fix it for them or you got to pay to have it fixed for them. Um, so just anything always think is it something something that we end up having to do and the customer is not paying for it is basically over processing is it also um the kind of the opportunity to simplify a process maybe where there's too many steps to doing one thing absolutely absolutely so i don't want i don't i want to be careful not to just like cuz i'm applying a lot to operations cuz i'm thinking of our our customer base yeah but our clients have a lot of admi administrative work. Of course. The, the, these rules, the, these concepts get applied to the whole administrative side as well, right? Mm -hmm. Like an order comes in, does it sit on someone's desk too long before it gets to the next one? Um, there's a decision maker that needs to make a decision, but they're out for a couple of days. Does it sit idle? Um, again, the flow, like the flow's interrupted. Yeah. Does customer information get imported into the CRM and then have to get re-imported manually into the schedule? Or is are you using um, an automated process that moves it from one to the next? So it's right. really, and that's why we, we are big fans of, of looking at a really detailed workflow process of every component of your business and who's involved and what technology is involved, because that's then how you can use you know, a tool like Tim Woods to apply, okay, in this process of what we do, um, are we, uh, do we have too much inventory? Are we, are we have too many steps to the process? Who's involved in terms of the movement component of it all? Where are we being held up? Where are we waiting for somebody else? So taking your process and then applying the Tim Wood component to it, I, that's how you would look at it, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we'll come back to that a little bit more, but Let's finish out. We have two more um, areas remaining. Um, so one being the letter D. D. So D for defects. Uh, efforts caused by rejects or rework. So mm -hmm. in our world, there's a lot of rework. All right. So in, um, uh, I'll use plumbing as an example. You're doing a project in plumbing, whether residential or commercial, and you're looking at fit-ins. There's so many different fit-ins for plumbers now that it's, uh, you have quick fit uh, or you have traditional brass. If you put the wrong one in, all right, just cause you're not paying attention, you're gonna have to go in and rework that, right? Cause that material costs different mm -hmm. from a building materials or job costing perspective, but 
the, the, the big problem is it's not what the client wanted, right? Like it, a customer probably may not want it brass where you're, you're soldering and welding. They want quick release where if something down the road happens, they can get to it and do it themselves. You know, um, another one would be in the painting world, uh, drips or just streaks in paint or, or undercoating. Mm -hmm. um is a defect like some at times that happens and you got to go back in and throw another coat on or i think one i mentioned before is using wall paint on a door uh i hear that a lot with painters um just using the wrong type of paint mm -hmm. then they got to go in and they have to fix that yeah i think often so the term defects is not maybe used so much, but the term touch-up is, and touch-up sounds a little bit nicer than yeah, yeah. the term defect. I mean, that certainly sounds nicer, you know, from a customer or, you know, orienting conversation. Um, but touch-ups equal defects, which equals time. Time and money. And money. So, yeah. Yep. And uh, there's always going to, you know, I don't think there's a world where we're ever going to be perfect, but you can get pretty close to perfect, right? I mean. Oh, Absolutely. There is no perfect, right? Yeah, it's... yeah. We should we should say that out loud. There is no yeah. perfect. Right. This is us just trying to help get closer to perfect. Yeah. So if there was perfect, there wouldn't be lean process improvement, right? Because it's hundred percent <laughs> continuously working to get better. And yep. you know, things change, processes change, materials change, technology changes, and yep. like we're, we're probably more in a world of adapting mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Last but not least, we have the letter S. Yeah. So th this one was like, if I went back 15 years, the S wasn't on there. It was, it was so, just Tim Wood. Tim Wood. And it, I mean, if you went back and looked at like literature and books, you would see Tim Wood, right? So over mm -hmm. time, S came on and it refers to skills. And this is a big one. So underutilizing people's talent, skills, and capabilities. All right. So think, uh, think about a, a painter to mixing paint and moving ladders, right? Where he's more efficient of like getting the square footage covered mm -hmm. with quality paint work and everything. Um, I think of uh, one I just heard yesterday in excavating uh, operator three, which means that's a guy that can operate every piece of equipment that they have. So he's incredibly valuable on a job site. Well, mm -hmm. they had call outs and they lost a truck driver. That guy's driving a truck. You know what I mean? You can get anybody to drive a truck. And, right. you know, so that, that skills, I, I, the one that it pops into my head probably more than often because we live this every day is an owner being in the hourglass, mm -hmm. right? So an owner in the hourglass, he's getting sucked down into the operation, but like, he's probably the most efficient and productive salesperson there is in the organization. And he's, he's pulled away from it. So that's under utilizing his particular yeah. skill set. Yeah. And I, I would argue and correct me if I'm wrong. It's also not understanding the skill capability of certain people as well. So not taking the time to know, you know, if you've got um, somebody you know, on the job working for you and maybe a newer hire, you know, they have some, some skills, some history and working in, in a certain area and you're, you're training them, you know, in your company way, but not necessarily recognizing what other skills they might bring to the table that you're not utilizing. Right. And I, I would, I would 
reference situational leadership. Mm-hmm. So like if, if it's an organization that's doing that, they're getting, they already know that they're underutilizing somebody because they have a good understanding of where that particular person is in developing. Right. And in the, in the different tasks that they, that they are, um, that they are doing. Right. Great. So we've got, so complete, we've got Tim Wood. So we've got transport or transportation, inventory, motion, waiting, overproduction, overprocessing, defects, and skills. It's a lot of words, but that's why there's a really great acronym because I can yeah, remember yeah. Tim Woods. Absolutely. So when you look at this and, you know, we've just gone, gone through each area, um, all of it makes sense. It, like, like you said before, it all feels like common sense. So how do we teach and train our team members to utilize this framework and to do so effectively? Yeah. So um, engagement is a big one. Right. So like you can't listen to this podcast or, you know, I couldn't go in and teach someone how to utilize Tim Wood if the ownership and the senior leadership isn't engaged. Mm-hmm. Right. So just like safety uh, or or employee retention, it's something that's got to start at the top. So it's got to become a part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's a to get started is just teaching them to look through that different lens, right? So like Tim Woods, you would go in and you would, you would teach the team Tim Woods and you, you'd say, all right, where does this apply to your daily work, right? Mm-hmm. Like the goal isn't to say, here's the Ackerman, go find one of each, right? Because you, you're not going to, yeah. but in this framework, you're, you're definitely living through some opportunity that exists. Um, and I, I think, so I, I, I use the term active participation in the field or the operation, right? So observation is the key here. Like when I, if I work with a client and I'm on site, we're, we're observing for a full day mm-hmm. and we're seeing what's going on, uh, noting activities. Um, and then I, I think the next part would be to challenge your team members to bring, bring, what they identify to the table. So like through your, your weekly meeting rhythms or your operations meeting. And like I said, it, it becomes contagious. They'll, they'll get excited and fired up. Um, and then that helps you make it become a habit. Mm-hmm. Right. And then ultimately, like we say with a lot of things, you have to celebrate the success and recognize if a field crew leader goes out and applies these type of principles and improves his productivity by 10, 15%. That's a big deal. You got you to celebrate that for, for them and everybody uh, to drive the culture. Little wins must be celebrated. Absolutely. They must they must be recognized yeah. um, because again, that's it, it's positive culture reinforcement, it's pr- production reinforcement, and it's the little wins that help us take that next step to the bigger win, to, right. you know, the... the the um, highest revenue year or the most, you know, product, the best productivity year you've ever had. It's because there is little wind happening on each team or in each department that are all feeding into the bigger picture. Right. And when you, obviously I think the, um, the referencing the examples like you did in each area and being able to apply or speak to, you know, in teaching this and in introducing this to a, a team, those references 
are key. I mean, I I can only imagine just saying a couple of the areas, um, you know, from uh, the underutilizing skills or the touch-ups, people get that. They they yeah. can certainly recognize. So how do you begin to actually deploy strategies to fix those things? Yeah, so I, I think you you gain an understanding of them first. So mm-hmm. education is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like if you're listening to this podcast and this is something that you know could benefit the company, what you want to look at is just starting the conversations of getting this type of lens or perspective introduced to the team, mm-hmm. right? And then I would say you you pick one thing, okay? So like, you know, most of the time I tell people like, what's what's the one thing that you're really having a problem with right now, right? And just, it could be, uh, we have a client, a moving company um, that is struggling with our dispatch, right? So looking at dispatch, getting people and they, they are starting to see success from what we're learning by improving some processes there. Uh, mm-hmm more efficient getting people dispatched. Um, so you pick that one thing, you run through the process and you learn, right? And then you you you, you just gain experience every time you're doing it, um, including multiple team members. So like in, in, in an example like that, like just say dispatch efficiency, we want to include the team, people that are responsible for it. Um, we want to include a finance person. We want to include... Um, someone from the field, because mm-hmm. then you're, you're kind of understanding how it's impacting players through the value chain. Right. And making right. sure that they are all on board with the shift in, in process that you're going to make there and, and understanding right. the why it's not, you know, making sure that they understand you're trying to increase overall efficiency and not necessarily coming down on one individual for um, being the barrier per se. Right. It's about how things are interacting all together. Yeah. And you will. So the last thing I'll say is you got to make it fun. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, and it'll be fun when, when people are successful at making improvements, they get excited. It's just natural. Uh, You could build quarterly themes around it, right. Where you celebrate and you make it a competition. Um, You could uh, set goals around it. Right. Um, Actually we were on with the moving company yesterday and I spoke to them previously and we were talking about different things and they were trying to drive something with the efficiency. I was like, you know, what I used to do in my plants is I'd go buy a 70 inch TV, um, which are like $400 right now. And (laughs) I'd leave it in our office and they would see it. And every time someone did really good job with efficiency, we'd hand them a raffle ticket. And we'd say, hey, this is going to run for a month. So like you could get a ticket every day if you're meeting the criteria. And then at the end of that month, that that got wrapped off. Now, the $400 I spent on that TV mm-hmm. was more than made up in efficiency gains from machine operators. Yeah. You know, so making it fun like that, I think, is really important. Anytime that you can gamify a system or gamify it, uh, a process gets people going. <laughs> Oh yeah, we're we're competitive. We are. Yeah. And some some more than others, but at the end of the day, everybody everybody wants to win a little something, right? Yeah. So I as I did, just to finish up on this one, Molly, yeah. as I told you, I think that like you'll hear us talk about the term Kaizen event in the future. 
Kaizen event. Kaizen event, right? Okay. Where we put, we, we could come on site and work with your team on a particular issue, and mm-hmm. um, that's where momentum gets gained. So then you mm-hmm. fixed one, and you're like, all right, maybe in Q3 we're going to go tackle this, and we'll do it again. You know, so like it's you're not fixing everything at one time, but you're going for what's most important. At yeah. The time. That's probably my biggest takeaway um, from this conversation is making sure to um, attack them in small in small pieces. Yeah. You're you're not going to be able to um, overhaul a process in in a month per se, right. or, or the whole process of the, of the organization. But to to identify pieces of the process that you can can improve. That's again, it goes back to celebrating little wins, celebrate improvements right. in, in the processes, each step of the process, and you will overall impact the greater, the greater component. My last question to you, because it goes back to this feeling like we're changing habits. We are um, training people to rethink what once an issue, once a, an issue is identified, um, let's say in one one piece of the process. How long, and from your experience, does it generally take to fix? And this can be, you know, on on average. Um, are you seeing improvements once they're ident- once they're identified and solutions are put in place being rewrited in a in a week, in a month? I mean, what's the expectation here? And, and at what point are we saying, okay, this fix that we thought was going to work, that we thought was going to be better, might not be it, and maybe we need to reevaluate. Yeah. Yeah. So if you did a Kaizen event, for example, right. And you you say we were working on fixing dispatch, uh, you come on site and you have a team from the company participating, right. Mm -hmm. Selective participants. And you spend a day and a half observing. Then you spend a day and a half building improvement processes. Then the third day you roll it out and you observe to see how it goes. And then you're readjusting and then you're, you know, like that's like a week. Okay. okay. Um, so you're seeing the goal there is to see that the potential to work is there. Okay. Right. And then the team's involved and it's starting to happen. But after that, a big part of is follow-up. Right. So like, this isn't one of them things where you do it and you just walk away and you're like, Oh, it didn't work. Like if I was working with a, a client on this, we'd have a follow-up call probably for three consecutive weeks. And then mm-hmm. we would probably touch on it every month. Okay. Um, because it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an investment when you're bringing people together. Mm-hmm. But I, I think from my experience, you, you see impacts almost immediately. Wow. Now, by the time you perfect it, you, you ultimately, you could be, couple months out, three months out, four months out. Um, but the goal is to look for a progressive improvement. Okay. And still believe that it's going to get you where you thought it would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, like we always say, things have to be um, anchored in. You can't just expect to work on it and then walk away completely, right? Sure. You, you have to be revisiting and making sure that things are still getting the attention that that they deserve after you dedicated so much time to to trying to find a solution. Right. Well, so that's Tim Woods, and that's the first of several tools in in the Lean Toolbox. Um, I know the next time we connect, Jim, which I'm hoping will be in a few weeks, um, we're going to focus on the next large tool, which 
I'm going to hope I say this right, Demaic? Demaic, right. So what we just talked about is how what you look at to identify waste, right, mm -hmm. and opportunity. The next step is to uh, implement a data-driven improvement cycle is what Demaic is. Okay. So it stands for define, measure, analyze, improve, and control. So like you, you define the problem and most of the time, you know, ahead of time what your problem is, because that's why you, we would be talking about process improvement. Mm -hmm. um, then we measure, we create some baseline data that we can, when we make improvements, we can actually compare it to. Got it. And then we analyze that data. Then we implement the improvements and then we control the improvements. Like, so basically if we, if we developed a strategy for a process improvement, how are we going to ensure it stays in place and keeps running? So do you, do you develop an audit process? Mm -hmm. uh, do you make it a part of someone's KPIs or their PFP program? Yep. Um, so there's that accountability aspect. So the make is the cycle that you're going to run through to address the problems that you found through observations of Tim Wood. Got it. That makes sense. It All does. Right. To me, I see it as that is um, how you are continuing to anchor this the fix. Yeah. That's that's the continuous improvement on that solution. That's the awareness that we might need to revisit and keep make sure that what we changed is 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 actually changing per se. Yeah, and there's there, there's a couple of acronyms like FedEx used ABLE. Assess, build, launch, and evaluate. So there's mm -hmm. cycles. You're going to keep going around. Yeah. Uh, PDCA is another one that comes up. Uh, but DMAIC is the true lean uh, terminology for the process. Okay. Well, I look forward to that next conversation. Um, and I thank you, Jim, for again, diving into the world of lean and um, really kind of taking that that next drive forward into looking at the contractor's process and applying um, some really cool methodology to it that feels very much tangible in in a sense. It does not feel, um, it's not complex. It's, it's very much a, I don't know what, what the word is. It's common sense. We just got to apply common sense sure. to what we do. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you, if you pick up a book or if you're watching videos, it can be intimidating, right? But if you yeah. get the right person, totally. explain it from a common sense perspective, uh, we all understand it. Mm -hmm. We all do it. I, I mean, in our normal lives, you well, know. that's that's my hope here is that we've taken a concept that might feel intimidating and we're we're making some common sense out of it. Yeah. That's really ultimately that's that's the goal. And that's kind of my my job here in this conversation coming from as a person who doesn't know it is to make sure that I'm asking the right questions um, so that you all, our listeners, feel like your your questions are being answered and that you have a better understanding of what we're talking about. So Absolutely. until next time, Jim, thank you so much. I uh, hope you all have a wonderful day and we will connect soon. Yes, thank you. Appreciate thank you. It. Thanks for listening to this episode. Out of the Hourglass is recorded and produced by the team at Nolan Consulting Group, a nationwide business coaching and consulting firm with coaches located throughout the country. Have a question, comment, or idea for future episodes? We'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, www.nolancg.com.